kids are dismissed to their classes now if you would open your bibles with me to the gospel of mark chapter 10 we're going to begin reading in verse 17 Gospel of Mark chapter 10, verse 17. When you got it, say so. so. And it says, Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, looked, loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful. For he had great possessions. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word that is true. We thank you for the very reminders this morning, Lord God, of your goodness to us, of your love toward us and your grace toward us. And I just pray right now, dear God, that you would open our ears to hear what you are saying to your church. I pray that we would not just hear what you're saying, but that we would do what you are commanding and calling us to, Lord God. I pray that you remove any distractions. I pray that our minds would be taken captive right now to the preaching of your word. God, be glorified in it, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, Amen. you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. 
So if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will be sure to get you an outline. I want to make sure that you have an outline so you are able to follow along with us in the intro of the sermon. And always, as always, uh, not just so you can follow along with in the, in the intro of the sermon, but also that you are able to answer the questions that are in there. And you can utilize this outline as a tool to help someone else grow in their faith. As disciples, we are supposed to be disciple makers. We're supposed to be helping other people come to a better understanding of scripture to a deeper relationship with Jesus and the way that we do that is by sitting down with them and speaking and teaching the word of God to them and so you don't have to get up and preach like I am but you can sit down with someone across a table over coffee over a meal and you can teach them what it is that you've been talking about and if you don't like the word teaching you can simply just talk to them about what it is that you've been learning in the sermon so it's a tool for you to utilize so I hope that you will utilize that also for those of you that have been following along in the Bible Bible reading challenge. We started in the beginning of the year in the book of Genesis and our goal was to get through the book of Revelation by the end of the year. And so what we did about midstream is we went from reading three chapters a day to reading four chapters a day. And if you've been following along with the four chapters, then you will realize that today we are in the book of Revelation chapter 18, uh, chapter 18 through 21. And so what I decided was, as I thought about that, since we have 22 days for, from now to the end of the year, if you can believe that, 22 days and we are done with 2017. So what we're going to do is beginning now, today, we're going to read one chapter in the book of Revelation a day and so that way you can really meditate on that think through that and then we'll finish the year out instead of having a couple of weeks that we're not reading anything uh, so that's my plan that's the goal and so if you don't want to do that bless you um, if you don't want to do that then you can go ahead and you can just finish it up tomorrow you read chapter 22 and you'll be done and the rest of us will be more spiritual amen um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So we are in our Jesus Impact series, and so we are continuing on in the Gospel of Mark, and we are, we've been learning a lot. I hope you've been learning a lot, but today we're going to be dealing with living for eternity. And so I was reading uh, an article, actually it was a blog that was posted that Josiah's teacher actually gave to all of the parents. And so in this blog, it was written by a PhD, and she's a psychiatrist, something like that. And it was talking about what our kids are experiencing nowadays and the things that she is seeing, right, as far as children having inability to learn at the pace that they should. You see so many kids having ADHD and all these different things that they're being uh, said that they have. And so as she was reading this article, and if you guys are interested, I can find it for you and I can send it to you guys. But, you know, there's a lot of stuff in there talking about technology and how much they're in I mean we hand our kids iPads and iPhones and all of this stuff like they sit there and trust me the way that this stuff is hitting their brain it's causing something to happen there right and so at the end of the day the whole article was about retraining our children's brains and so putting parameters and things like that you know not being in front of television and you know as much and things of that nature and so really interesting but the second point in the article it was children get everything they want that that was one of the main issues that she saw was that children get everything they want. So what, what does she mean by that? Well, her whole point was our children don't understand the concept of delayed gratification. What do I mean by that? So you're driving down the road and your kid says, I'm hungry. And what do you do? You go to the next McDonald's, the next Wendy's, the next whatever, and you go and get them something to eat right there. So they didn't have to, like when I was growing up, you know what I, you know what I heard? I'm hungry. Mommy said, we're on the way home. I'm going to cook. 
So not only did I have to wait to get home, there was no microwave. Hello, somebody. I just dated myself. There was no microwave. Like, microwaves were a new thing, right? And so we weren't, we didn't have all that kind of money, so we didn't have a microwave. My grandmother had a microwave, but we didn't have a microwave. But here's the thing. So we were going home, and if we were going to warm anything up, even if it was something that was left over, it was going to take time to warm that thing up. Talk about delayed gratification. Hello, somebody. All right. Oh, mom, I'm thirsty. I'm dying. You ain't dying. You're still talking to me. You're, you're, you're not going to die. If you can talk, you're not dying, right? And so you're thirsty. We'll stop at the convenience store. We stop at the corner. And so our kids immediately, they get everything they want, like right away. And that's a problem because let me ask you a question for all the adults in the room. How many of you always get what you want exactly when you want it? Raise your hand. No one because that's not real life. Right? Like there's nothing that we get, you know, exactly when we want it, right? We have to learn to accept the fact that, hey, you're not going to get everything right when you want it. So this is what happens, parents. So this is just to help you out. You are doing your child a disservice by pulling over to that McDonald's. You're doing your child a disservice by getting them every, and I'm not talking about the health side. Let's not talk about the health side, right? That's another thing. But you're doing them a disservice because you're not teaching them to wait, you're not teaching them to wait. And so what we have here is this issue. And so if you look at the first part of your outline there, the first paragraph, our culture does not understand the principle of delayed gratification. We want everything hot, fresh, healthy, and tasty from a microwave, a can, or a drive-thru. Hello. This is our culture, right? All of them, you know, most of us, right, that are dieting and trying to be healthy and stuff like that, we are waiting for the pill. Hello. That really works, that you really don't have to stop eating like you want to eat, that you really don't have to exercise, and it's going to make you look how you look, how you want to look, right? Like you want to look, right? Everybody's waiting for that pill. I, you know, it's not going to happen. I'm just letting you know. It's never going to happen. This is not a reality. You have to make changes if you want certain things, right, like in your diet, things like that. But here's the problem. The issue is it's not just that, that we've, that we've become accustomed to this. It's that we want God to subject himself to that paradigm. We want God to do it when we want it, how we want it, the way. We want God to respond immediately to us. And how many of you know, I want you to show your hands, but how many of you know that God doesn't operate in our timetable? God doesn't do things the way we want. You know, I remember growing up in church, you know, as I, after I became a Christian, I remember hearing, you know, God shows up on time. Does he not? He always shows up on time. You may not think so because, like, man, why didn't you show up a week ago? Like, why do you, you have to wait till the midnight hour? Like, I remember preaching sermons about that, you know. And so waiting, you know, until, until, until whenever he feels it's the right time. It's his time. And so that's what we want. We want God to become like our culture. Like, we just get whatever we want from him whenever we want it. And we have to realize that that is not a reality. The second paragraph there, the Bible calls us to a lifelong, listen to this, a lifelong pursuit of God who we will never fully know this side of heaven. You realize that? That no matter how much you read your Bible, no matter how much you pray, no matter how much you fast, no matter how much you seek God, you will never know him in his fullness until the veil is removed. And that veil is your flesh. Hello. On this side of heaven, we're never going to know him fully. We'll know him, but not fully. We're called to a lifelong race for eternal reward that will never be experienced this side of heaven. You realize that you and I, if you're a believer in this place, you are looking forward to rewards. And I will say it like this. If you get all of your rewards in this life, you have nothing to look forward to. That's what Jesus said when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount, and he was talking about praying in public. He was talking about fasting. He was talking about giving. He was talking about all of these things, and he's like, these people receive their reward now. 
They receive their rewards from men because men look at them and think, man, they're great, man. They pray well. Oh, man, they give so much. They do so. All of these different things are what hindered these people, these, these religious people from understanding, wait a second, I'm looking for eternal reward. And the, and, and the Bible calls us also to a lifelong, lifelong conformity to the image of the Son that will never fully be realized this side of heaven. Talk about delayed gratification. So we're going to know a God that we can't know fully. We're going to live this life on this, on this side of the earth for rewards that we're not going to experience now. We're going to live this life that we're becoming more like Jesus every day, more like him. And yet we will never fully and completely be like him until we no longer deal with the flesh. Delayed gratification. Last paragraph here. Living for eternity is to live contently. In light of delayed gratification, hear me when I say that, living for eternity is to live contently in light of delayed gratification. In other words, I live contently knowing I'm going to pursue God with all of my heart, with all of my life, with everything that I am. And I am going to choose eternal reward over temporal comfort. That is what it means to live for delayed gratification. And so we're talking about living for eternity. The big idea that I have for you today is living for eternity will cause us to leave a lasting impression upon our culture. Living for eternity will cause us to leave a lasting impression upon our culture. You know, a few years ago as I was preaching about family discipleship and I was talking about legacy, the one thing that we hear a lot about is leaving a legacy. But I like to think about it this way, living a legacy. Because a lot of times we're thinking about what we're going to leave when we go. I want you to know you can know exactly what you're going to leave by the way you're living. Right? If it's finances, you're not going to wait until you breathe your last in order to give your kids or to save up for your kids. Either you have a life insurance plan or something like that, that if you die, then guess what? They're going to inherit that. They're going to be able to experience from there. Or you're saving and you're thinking. Of, it's about what you are doing now. And so we're talking about Jesus' impact. Again, reminding you that this is about us making eternal impact in the lives of those. That we look at Jesus' life and we say, God, I want to be used like Jesus was in my days. I want to be used like the apostles in the church in the book of Acts was used within the scriptures. I want to be used like that to make some kind of impact. And the only way that that's going to happen is if I am living for eternity. So the first thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. Say, we must live with eternity in mind. We must live with eternity in mind. And so what do we see here? So verse 17 tells us what? It says, as Jesus is walking down the road, this guy comes up to him, right? So let's look at it. It says, now as he was going on the road, uh, as he was going out on the road, one came running. Look what he does. He's running to Jesus. He kneels before him, and he, and, and he asks him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And so if you write this down, you're taking notes, Matthew chapter 19, Luke chapter 16 are the other accounts that are in the Gospels of this same story. And what happens is we learn a few things about this guy. First of all, we know that he's young. Second of all, we know that he's wealthy. The third thing is that we know that he's important. So he's a ruler, and many think that he's part of the Sanhedrin, which is the governing body. It's kind of like the body of elders for the Jewish people. And so this guy's wealthy, he's young, he's important. And he comes running to Jesus, right? He's excited. He's like, man, I, I need to ask him this question. He comes to Jesus. He didn't just run to him. He kneels before him, right? He bows down before him. And when he gets before him, he says, good teacher. So what is he doing? He's buttering him up, right? 
He's thinking, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm doing all the right stuff, right? This guy was all about externals, right? He was all about things that we do in order to get recognized that we're doing the, he was all about doing the right thing. He was all about that. And so he goes and he does, he, he, he kneels before Jesus and he was concerned. He asked him what? He, he does all of that to ask him one question. What must I do? Say do. What must I do in order to inherit eternal life? And so here's the thing we got to realize is that this guy was concerned about eternity. And you and I, if we desire to impact the lives of those around us, we cannot be living for the same things they are. Here's the deal. We should seek to do well in school. If you're in school, listen, I encourage you, strive for A. Strive for the highest grades you can get. Do the best you can. Okay? If you're an employee, if you're an employee somewhere and you work next to people, listen, you need to do the best you can do. You don't need to be in competition with anyone. You need to do the best that you can do. You need to rise. Be a rising star for the glory of God. Listen, for, for those of you that are neighbors, all of us have neighbors, and so you be the best neighbor that you can be, but don't do it for the same reasons everyone else is doing it. Are you here? Don't just strive to get good grades because, hey, man, I need good grades so that I can go ahead and go to an Ivy League college or I can get some kind of scholarship. That's all good motivation. But here's the question. Do you want to utilize whatever it is that you are striving to, the position that you'll get, the platform that you have? Are you using it for the glory and the honor of God? That becomes the question. Is it all about you or are you living for eternity? See, I want you to pause for a moment because, you know, I know I talk fast and I know that I'm loud and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to think for a moment. Do you think about eternity? When you think about the decisions you make in your life, do you think about the fact that you are going to stand before a holy God and you are going to be judged for your life decisions? Before you speak to people, do you understand that you will be judged by every idle word that has come out of your mouth? Do you think about every single action that you partake in, every single behavior you participate in, every decision you make is going to go before the tribunal of God and you are going to either be sadly overwhelmed with sorrow because you're going to watch your life be consumed in a fire and receive no reward or that you are going to come on the other side and he's going to be like, well done, good and faithful servant, and you're going to be rewarded for your life. Do you realize that? Do you realize that every decision, not just some decisions, every decision, see everything that you do, everything that I do, I do everything, and I, and I say this sincerely, everything with the thought of man, and listen, sometimes I'm repenting because I'm like, God, please forgive me. Please forgive me because that action does not bring glory to you. That action does not, but you know what, when I'm thinking ahead of, when, when I have forethought about something, I'm thinking about what? I'm thinking about, man, how is this action going to affect me for eternity? When I'm making decisions, why well, I tell young people, young people, you're in this room right now. Listen, you need to think about, you need to pray through the decisions you make. You need to think about what college are you going to. You need to think about what major you're going to go for. You need to think about, don't just be, oh, well, I like this. I, wait, wait a second. What is it that God wills for you? Because, listen, it's a sad thing to go ahead and think about the fact that, man, I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to say, man, everything you did was not for my glory. It's gone. See, because there's three people that are going that, that are going to stand before the throne of grace or the, the, the throne the throne of God. It is the one person that's going to stand before him and he's going to tell them, part from me, I never knew you work of iniquity. 
That person is going to be the sorest and most, and, and most discouraged person of all. The second person is going to be the one that's going to stand before his, before his throne, and he is going to come through this fire. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians that all of our works are going to be tried by fire. And this person is going to come out on this side, and they're not only going to be welcome into my kingdom, but they're also going to be rewarded for their life. And then there is this other person that is going to make it into heaven but smell like smoke. Hello. Yeah. And I don't want to be that person. What do I mean by smell by smoke? Everything in your life is going to be tried by fire, and you're going to make it by the skin of your teeth. You're going to make it because God is gracious and God is merciful. But all of our lives are going to stand before God. And listen, I don't know about you. I know for me. I know that God saved me and redeemed me, and I am grateful to him. And I want to live every day, every decision for his glory. The vision of our church, the reason why we even exist is because some odd 15 years ago, God began to burn the, the Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 in my heart. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. And all I wanted to do, everything inside of me was please the Lord. And I knew that I had to listen and obey and do what he said in order to please him. The reason why I'm here today, right now, the reason why I've never given up, the reason why I don't quit is because one thing burns in my heart. And listen, I'm not trying to say that I'm perfect because God knows I fall short. But my greatest longing, deepest desire is to please him. That has to be what burns inside of us. That we desire to please him. That we want to live for eternity. And so this young man, we must be like him. He was genuinely concerned about his eternity. And so listen, if you're in this place and you're a believer, you need to be thinking beyond the fact that I'm going to make it into heaven. You need to be thinking about, man, am I living for the glory of God? But listen, if you're not a believer, you need to think about something else. Are you going to make it to eternity with him? If you're not a believer in this place, you need to think about, man, where, where am I standing with him? If I died right now, where would I, I mean, would he be, he's not going to be accepting me in. He's going to be casting me out. And so we need to be considerate of those realities. The second thing that I'll ask you to repeat after me is this, say, we cannot, we cannot wager our eternal destination on our own righteousness. Now, I want you to look at these verses because this guy comes to Jesus. He has a genuine question, and there is no reason to think that he was disingenuous with his question. No reason at all, right? This guy was being sincere. We know that he was being sincere because Jesus answered him, right? Jesus engaged with him. And it says at the end that Jesus loved him, so we're going to look at that. But here's the thing. He's being sincere. He's asking a question. He wants to secure his eternity. And so he comes to Jesus, asks him this question. But here's what I want you to understand, that he was thinking about this. So the first thing Jesus does, look, it says, So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. So what does he do? The first thing he does. The first thing he does, he challenges this guy's understanding of what he's even saying. Because this guy's coming, he's running, he's kneeling, he's saying, good teacher, hello. And so was Jesus saying that he wasn't good? Absolutely not. That isn't what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, why are you calling me good? Do you understand what good is? In other words, he was saying, no one is good except God. Because this young man thought he was good. Are you here? He was like, hey, I'm going to come. I'm, I'm going to. Good teacher. Wait a second. There's no one good but God. So the first thing he does, he's like, this guy doesn't understand what he's saying. The second thing he does, look what he does here in verse 19. It says, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And look what this guy replies and what he says. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. He was like, yes. He's like, yes, I got eternal life. 
Now, I want you to realize something. Now, in these days, right, this is before the cross. And so the only way that you had any kind of security with God was because of what? Your adherence to the law, right? You got to remember this, right? So this is before the cross. So this guy was doing what was supposed to be done. What made him right before God was his adherence to the law. And so he was just like Paul. Remember what Paul says when he's speaking, I think it's to Galatians or something like that. He says that according to the law, I was blameless, right? So he was blameless. Paul was like, I mean, when it came to the external works of the law, Paul was blameless. That's what this guy was saying. I'm blameless. I'm good. I'm good to go. Yes, I've kept all of those from my youth. And then what does it show us about Jesus here? What is he doing? He's pointing him to the law because he wants this guy to understand something. He wanted him to get something down inside. Listen, none of us is good and none of us can keep the law the way that God demands. None of us can do that. You see, because you got to remember what Paul says later on. He also says this. He says, if you even break one of these commands, you are guilty of breaking all of the law. And so he breaks down the law for the guy. The guy's like, I'm doing it. And then look at what Jesus says, to, or what it says there. It says, then looking at him, verse 21, loved him. I love that. Jesus loved him. It wasn't fake. Like, I love this guy. This guy runs to me. This guy kneels. This guy, this guy's buttering me up. This guy, is, he's, he's, he, has, he has a genuine desire, genuine concern for his eternity. He's genuine about this. I love him. And he says, one thing you lack. And if you look at the other, the other gospels, the other, the other gospels that talk about the story, the young man asks, what, what do I lack? And so Jesus answers that question. He tells him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. Hold on a second. And you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. And so what does he do? He says, hold on a second. He says, okay, you, you kept all the law. Now check this out. You lack this one thing. See, notice there's one command there that he doesn't say when it comes to dealing with everyone, right? Thou shalt not covet. He doesn't say that one. See, because covetousness creates what? It creates false securities. We're going to talk about that in my next point. But here's the thing. This guy was falsely secure in what? His riches. He was falsely secure in his possessions. He was falsely secure in everything that he had. And so Jesus does what? He calls him away from his idol of things. His idol of riches. He calls him away from his place of security and says, I want you to come this way. Get rid of all of that stuff. Pick up your cross. Follow me. And you're going to have great rewards. And what does the Bible say about this guy? He was like, yes. No. That isn't what happened. Remember, he comes. He comes. I, I want you to think about these words. It says that he went away sad and sorrowful because he had great possessions. Right? And so what this word, the, 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 the Greek word here is, it, it, what is, what is it again? I forgot what that word is. I just forgot the word. It just totally left me. But here we go. It is the Greek word stugnaso. And what this word means is it means to be sad or sorrowful. But listen to the metaphor for this word. It means of the sky covered with clouds. And so what one writer says this is this guy left the sunshine to walk into a storm. He went from a place of being like, yes, I've been keeping the law. Good teacher. He's excited. Everything is wonderful. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have. Give to the poor. Take up your cross. Follow me. You're going to have great rewards. All of a sudden, this guy goes from being excited, being overwhelmed, being emotional. He was good. And then suddenly, his head goes down. He's like, wow. I thought I'd done it. You know what the problem was? The problem was that he has the same issue that a lot of people in our culture have. He had this good works mentality. The problem was that he thought that he could go ahead and he could do something to earn. Remember what his question was? What must I do to inherit eternal life? You know that you can't do anything to inherit something, right? 
You realize that? You can't do anything in order to inherit. An inheritance, you get an inheritance because someone else did something. They saved up, they died, and they granted to you in their will. Hello. So how was he going to inherit this? He was looking at something he could do. See, the problem is he thought, and, and he thought that he could do some kind of good work. That's the issue with many people today. Listen, you have conversation with folks out there today, and maybe some of you in this room, you think, man, I'm good enough. Wait a second. Nobody's good enough. That's why Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except one, and that is God. No one deserves that place of good. Now, look, we know good people, right? We know people that are nice. We know people that do good stuff, all that kind of I'm not discrediting any of that. But what I'm saying is we have to look at us being good. We're not like good like God is good. We're not pure like God is pure. We're not holy like God is pure. That's the reason why Jesus walks this guy through the law. And he brings him to this place, and this guy walks away sad. His heart is saddened because what? Because he doesn't have this, this security any longer. He doesn't have this security that, man, hold on a second. I'm good. I just had to do something else. He, he was looking for the seal of approval. And Jesus said, hey, you're good to go. Don't worry about it. You're going to heaven. Everything's all good. He didn't get that, so he walks away sad. Third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is this. That we must choose between temporal comfort and eternal reward. We must choose between temporal comfort and eternal reward. The greatest issue with this young man was that he wanted the comfort of eternal life without the sacrifice of the temporal life. He wanted the comfort, the security, the assurance. How many of us want, want, want assurance that we're going to heaven? How many of y'all want that? Come on, raise your hand. Let me see that. Right? A few of us, right? We want to know. Like, I want, I want the assurance, right? If you ever listen on the radio, you know, some people are calling me, how do I know I'm saved? I mean, that's like a big question that people ask. How do I know that I'm saved? And, and, and what's the answer? Well, the answer is, well, have you put your faith in Christ, right? But it's not just about that, because if I put my faith in Christ, then my life looks a certain way. And so I can't do that. Yeah, I said a prayer one day. You know, I did this. Wait a second. Hold on a second. How does your life look, right? How does your, has your life been changed by that faith? Has your life been transformed by that faith? And so we all want the security, but here's the question. Are we willing to lay down the temporal pleasures and comforts of life for eternal life? He wasn't. He walked away. We hope that he came back at some point, but at this point, he didn't do that. He walks away with his head down. He walks away saddened. And why does he do that? And look what Jesus goes on to say to his disciples. It says, then Jesus looked around and said to them, verse 23, to his disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? So what does he start off? He's like, look, this guy's rich. You see how hard it is? You see how difficult it is? He came to me. He was excited. He was happy. Everything was good. And then all of a sudden, he turns away sad because what? Because he's rich. So does that mean riches are bad? No, it doesn't say that. What does the Bible say? The Bible says that the love of money is the root to all evil. It doesn't say money. Money, money doesn't have good or bad. Money is just money. It's how you use it. And with money, you'll do what? You will either worship it or worship God with it. One of the two. It's one or the other. You will either worship it. You will either idolize it or you will worship your creator with it. You will honor God with it. And this guy obviously was not because what? Because he didn't want to let go of them. But what Jesus goes on, he goes on to say a little bit more. He breaks it down for them. And he says, and the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now he gets to the heart of it. 
those who trust in riches. This guy was trusting in his riches. He was trusting that his riches were going to be his access point. He was trusting that his riches were going to guarantee him some kind of spot in heaven. And the reality was that that was not true. Jesus said, get rid of it all. Sell it all. Does that mean that we got to get rid of it all and sell it all? That doesn't mean that. That simply means that we need to ask this question, what is our functional savior? See, his problem was he had a functional savior. His functional savior was his money. His functional savior was his riches. His functional savior was his security that, you know what, money, it's going to buy me everything I need in this world. I'm never going to have to beg anyone. I'm never going to have to be in poverty. I'm never going to lack anything. And because of that, guess what, I'm going to be okay. And maybe I can guarantee myself a spot in heaven. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. You can't depend on those things. And so here's my question, because some of us, we ain't got no money, so you're like, I didn't apply to me. But let me ask you a question. What do you have? I'm like, well, I ain't rich, so I'm good to go, Bishop. Let's wrap this up so I can go eat lunch. Hello. <laughs> right? But here's the question. What is your functional savior? Listen, you may not be rich, but what's your functional savior? Where is it that you really find your identity? Is it in your job, maybe? And some people, man, I got, a, I got a great job, and right there in this, in this job, I find my identity. That, that, that's where I find my security. That's where I am who I am. Maybe it's your marriage. I mean, some of us idolize our relationships, our children. Some of us idolize our children, like in our homes. Like, we want the best-behaved children. It's not because we care about them. It's because we care about us. It's because we don't want to be that family in the restaurant. We don't want to have that kid in the grocery store. I know all about that kid. I got him. Hello, somebody. I am that family. When we go into the restaurant, we're like, hey, do you have a booth in a corner somewhere? Because at least we can control him in a corner. We can put him somewhere. He can play on a wall and all good. Instead of, you know, reaching or You know, he is, he'll be in the back. He'll, he'll be saying, you, you probably sat next to this child um, where he's sitting there. And you're in your, in, your, in your pew or in your bench. And there's someone hitting you in the head. There's someone looking over the side. There's some, you, you know that kid? That's my son. So we try to liberate people. I mean, it's just, you know, it just is what it is. Every time, not every time, but sometimes we go shopping. We're like, I'm never taking him shopping. Have you ever had that conversation? I'm just saying, like, you don't want to be that parent, right? But it's not about your kid. It's not about your kid going to hell because they don't know how to obey. It's not about your kid living a life in rebellion, ending up in prison because they don't know how to act right. It's not about any of that stuff. It's because you don't want to be embarrassed. You see, so some of those things become functional saviors in our lives. Those positions we have, the money we have, the securities we have, those things sometimes hold us back. I remember the day that God called me. Then when I say called me, I mean that God called me to repent of my sin. I remember it like it was yesterday, and it was a youth service at the church that I ended up becoming a member at probably like a year later when I actually got saved. But I remember sitting in the back corner. I was sitting in the back where Vanessa is right there, and I was sitting there. I was sitting next to my best friend. And this guy was preaching, and he was preaching from 1 Samuel, I believe it's chapter 3, where Samuel calls God, or when God calls Samuel. And in that story, I remember sitting there, and I remember hearing this guy preach. And when he finished his sermon, I knew that I knew that I was supposed to get up and go forward. I sat there during the whole time they did that altar call, and I didn't get up. You want to know why? Because my best friend didn't move. Because I was more concerned with the security of my relationship with my friend that I didn't want to walk away from him to walk to Jesus. Because I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't going to be the same. I knew that the moment that I turned to Christ, I had to turn away from someone. 
You see, this is the reality, is that you cannot have Jesus and bring everything else along. What did the disciples do when, they, when Jesus called them? Jesus said to them, hey, follow me. Did he not? Is that, that's what he said, right? And what did they do? Remember the sons of Zebedee? They were in their, dad's, in, in their dad's boat. They were cleaning and they were mending the nets. And what does the Bible say they did? They wrapped up the nets, put them in their pocket, and walked away. Is that what they did? They dropped the nets and followed Jesus. They didn't come back and say, hey, dad, check this out. We're going to follow this guy. We're not sure how long, but listen, when you die, we want the business. That isn't what happened. They followed Jesus. They went after him. See, this young man, he didn't want to do that. He didn't want to let go of his riches. So my question is, what is it that you are holding on to? Clearly, this young man had a functional savior. The question is, what is it that is holding you back from running to Christ, from following Jesus? What is it? See, the beauty is the promise that Jesus gives us. So as, as, as we keep reading here, he goes on ahead, he uses verse 25, he says, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. So how many of you have ever tried to thread a needle? Raise your hand if you ever tried to thread a needle, right? It's pretty difficult with that little piece of, of string and you're like licking it, like trying to get it through that hole, right? Like all this kind of stuff. And so it's pretty difficult. Well, just imagine trying to shove like a horse through that hole, Right? Like, the, impo the impossibility of that is, it, it's just never going to happen, right? Unless you, like, I mean, it would just never happen. The metaphor is meant to be impossible, right? Unless what? Unless God does something. Unless God touches that rich person's heart. And that's what Jesus goes on to say. He said, but Jesus looked at them and said, with men, this verse 27, it is impossible, to, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. So God is able to save the rich, the poor. He's able to save them all. The thing is, they need to recognize their need for him. See, so you know why it's so difficult for wealthy people or anyone who has, and listen, I want, I want you to know that it doesn't just apply to wealthy people because I wasn't a rich kid when I was sitting back there in that corner. I just had rich relationships in my mind. See, I had, I had relationships that mattered so much to me. There was wealth in those relationships. And so I didn't want to let them go because that is where I found security. See, the thing that we have to realize is that we need to ask ourselves, what is it that, that I'm finding? And even in other people's life, where are they finding their security? And see, because when you're not rich, when you're poor, it's easy to recognize you have some needs. But when you're wealthy, guess what? You can buy everything you want, right? You're not broke. You're not hurting. You can get the things you need. You can go to the store and purchase stuff. You're not waiting on things. And so the truth of the matter is, is that this is what Jesus is confronting in this young man's life. And the disciples are still having this circular conversation that began a couple of weeks ago. And we dealt with them. And they were talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And so Peter, he goes ahead and he continues the conversation. Look what he says here in verse 29. It says, then Peter began to say to him, see, we have left all and followed you. So what is Peter doing? Again, as, as always, he's tooting his own horn. Hello. We've left everything. We're following you, Jesus. And then what does Jesus say? I love what Jesus says. He says, so he answered, he says, assuredly, say assuredly. Assuredly is a pretty intense word. He is giving a promise here. He's saying, uh, he, he's saying, assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. I want you to get those words for my sake and the gospels for my sake and the gospels this is the problem with our christianity in the united states of america we're okay forsaking a b c and d because we want things we're okay letting go of this because we're going to get that jesus says anyone who has done this for me and my sake have access to the next promise 
See, our issue is we all want to reap. We're not doing it because we just want to give him glory. We're not giving because we just want to honor him. We're not giving our lives. We're giving it because of what we get in return. Jesus says you got to check your motive. And see, Peter, man, Peter and these guys, they did what? Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me, and I'm going to give you this stuff. This is way down the line that he's telling them this. And so anyone, he says, anyone who is given all of these things, he says what in verse 30? He says, who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands, look at this, with persecution. Say, with persecution. persecution. See, here's the thing. We all want the easy life. I'm sorry to tell you there's no such thing. There's no such thing. I wish I could tell you this, but here's this. If you follow Jesus, you, can't, you, you cannot give up anything that he cannot fill that void. He can't. You can't do it. See, I told you about my best friend. Listen, I can tell you this. It wasn't but a couple of weeks after I became a Christian, they stopped coming to pick me up. Hello. They used to come pick me up every day. We used to go out. We used to get high. We used to do all kind of stuff. Every day. After I got saved, I, those were my friends. So you know what I would do? I would go hang out with them while they were getting high. I would preach to them. Hello. That's what I did. Guess what? They didn't want to hear about Jesus anymore because they're blowing their high. They don't want to hear about Jesus. Who wants to hear Jesus when you're drunk? You don't want to talk about Jesus. When you're high, you don't want to talk about Jesus because, you know, you're thinking about eternal consequence. You have any kind of re- And I was real. Listen, I knew where I was going if I was not with God. And so they knew as well. Hello. This is reality. Right? That was it. And so I lost all of those friends. But can I tell you something? I gained them all back. I have brothers and sisters all throughout this room. I have relationships all throughout this room. I'm praying for my, for my biological family members, for them to come to faith in Christ. But in the meantime, I have plenty of crazy sisters. Hello, somebody. In y'all. Y'all just love Jesus. You know, that, that's all. I mean, you know, I have plenty of crazy brothers, you know, the same thing. And so the thing is, God gives you all, everything that you walked away from. You gain it. But then here's the beautiful here, here, Well, this is the hard part. The hard part is it comes with persecution. It comes with hardship. Why? God wants us to always remember, listen, don't get comfortable in this life. Don't get comfortable in this life. Don't become laxed in this life. Don't think this is the end because this, hopefully, is not the end of your life. Hopefully, this is just a part of your life. The, the, the rest of it begins the day you breathe your last, and you're looking forward to eternity. But can I tell you something? When you have an easy life, guess what you don't think about? You don't think about heaven. Are you here? Listen, some of you have a hard life you don't think about heaven. Some people have difficult lives, they're not thinking about heaven. But the reality is this young man, he was thinking about heaven. We should be thinking about heaven as well. And so we have to choose, though. We have to choose temporal comforts or eternal reward. We have to make that choice. And so here's my closing question for you. Are you living for eternity? Are you living for eternity? That, that's what we're talking about, living for eternity. But, but I want to help you to think through that question really quickly. So when, 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 when you think about that question, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Does your giving, because when you answer the question, how do you measure that? Well, does your giving reflect you living for eternity? So for those of you that are on Realm, if you're not on Realm, I encourage you to get on Realm. But if you're on Realm, don't go there right now. But you can go to the app right now. When you leave here, not right now. But you can go to the app and you can look at your, you can look at your profile. And guess you can click on? You click on this little tab that says giving. And you can look to see how your giving reflects your thoughts of eternity. Because what did Jesus say? Jesus said where your heart is, there your finances will be as well. So you can look at your giving, right, where your heart is, right? And so wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be, your treasure. Speaking of your finances, that's what he's talking about. And so what we have to realize, okay, is my, does my giving say that I'm thinking about eternity? Because every time you give, you're giving toward what? The extension of the kingdom of God. You're giving toward what God is doing. Okay, so I know y'all don't want to talk about giving. It's okay. What about your spending? How about that one? 
Forget Realm for a moment. Get on Realm, but forget it for a moment. What about your bank account? You probably have the app on your phone. Don't look at it right now. You for sure can go online and probably look it up because most of you have that as well. But look over the last 12 months, right? How has your spending reflected your thoughts about eternity? What about that? Okay, you, wanna, you don't want to talk about spending either? Okay, what about your leisure time, right? You want to talk about giving, you want to talk about spending. What about your leisure time? You know, the time that is away from work, the time that is away from sleep, the time that is away from family, or even some time that you have with family. What about that time, that free time? How does that time reflect your thoughts or your living for eternity? What about this one? You don't want to talk about that either. What about your prayer life? Let me tell you something. If you don't have a prayer life, you're definitely not thinking about eternity. What about your prayer life? Over the last 12 months, like how many times have you prayed? If you can count that on one hand, that's terrible. But for some of us, that's a reality. What about our prayer life? What about you being in God's word? What about you being in the scriptures? Here, same thing. If you're not in the scriptures, then you're definitely not thinking about eternity. And my last one that I'll say about this is what about your relationships? What about your relationships? Do you have some unforgiveness in your heart towards people? Because if you do, you're not thinking about eternity because Jesus said something that was pretty startling. He said, if you don't forgive others, your sins won't be forgiven you. So you must not be thinking about eternity if you're harboring bitterness towards other people. What about the way you love other people? What about the way that you engage with other people? And my last one that I'll say here is what about your service? You know, we say every, every morning we're committed to loving God. We're committed to growing together. We're committed to serving. Hallelujah. What about your service? Are you serving somewhere in the kingdom? Are you serving somewhere for the glory of God? Because if you're not, then you're not thinking about eternity. And so here's what I'll say. If you're sitting there sinking in your seat right now, as we went through this list, and you're like, man, I don't think about God in my giving. I don't think about God in my leisure. I don't think about God in my spending. I don't think about God in my serving. I don't think about God in my prayer. I don't think about God in the word. I don't think about God in my relationships. I'm not living for eternity. Any of that stuff, if that's you, here's what I want you to know. Jesus died so that we could turn to him today. He if you have, if you have, listen, and, and, and let, let me say this. Don't go through the checklist and be like, well, I got five out of six. Hold on a second. <laughs> then that just means you have a place to grow, right? That doesn't mean like, hey, well, I'm good because I know someone else got three out of six. So, you know. <laughs> you know, I had a conversation with somebody the other day. They were measuring themselves. They were measuring their giving based upon, you know, like, hey, well, I'm pretty sure other people, you know, don't give or whatever the case is. And I don't remember the whole conversation. But the point is like, wait a second. I, I, don't, I don't need to measure my life based on you. I need to measure my life based on this. This is the standard. His standard is holy. The rich young ruler missed that. You don't miss that. But know that the grace of God is sufficient. Call upon him today. Amen? Amen. So I stand on our feet. Let's bow our heads. Father, I come to you right now and I pray, Lord God, for each and every person in this place. Your word says that you search us. You search our hearts. And so we ask, Lord, this morning that even as your word has gone forward, that you would search our hearts, that you would purify our hearts, that you would reveal to us where it is that we're not living for eternity, where it is that we're not living for your honor and for your glory. And Lord, don't just show us that, but God, give us hearts of repentance. Let us turn from our ways of thinking, our ways of being. Lord, I pray for the ones in this place that do not know you, that are not living for eternity. They know that they're not, God. I pray that right now they would call upon you. I pray that right now 
that they would cry out to you in their heart, that they would say, God, save me. God, deliver me. God, I don't want to stand before your throne and be cast aside, but I want to live my life for your glory and for eternity. Do that work in them. And for my brothers and sisters, Lord God, wherever it is that we looked at that list and we say, man, that doesn't look like eternity, that doesn't look like eternity, God, give us the hearts to rectify and align that with your will and your purposes for your glory and for your name's sake. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Come on and give the Lord a hand of praise.